Welcome to DLA Piper's Tech Law podcast series with me, Kit Burden, partner at DLA Piper and global co-chair of our technology sector. Today we'll be exploring the legal and commercial issues arising from new artificial intelligence and automation technologies. I'm delighted today to be joined by Andrew Burgess, a strategic advisor with a focus on leading edge aspects of sourcing and technology, including in particular robotic process automation and artificial intelligence. So Andrew, a big welcome today. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Thank you very much, Kit. And perhaps um, just to start off, you could give us a sense of your background and your areas of focus. Mm. So my background is actually in outsourcing advisory. So I spent 15 years advising enterprises how to outsource their IT and business processes. Um, I came across robotic process automation, or RPA, around five years ago um, and had a light bulb moment that that here was a technology that was going to fundamentally change the whole business process outsourcing market. The robots will mimic everything that a human does when they're processing uh, activities on a computer using a user interface. Whatever you automate, the the processes need to be rules-based, repeatable and scalable. And those are the same criteria you use to outsource. So clearly, here was a technology that was either a replacement to outsourcing or, if you're being kind, something that's going to enhance the outsourcing experience. So very much a natural progression from what you were doing previously. Exactly, exactly. But what I knew was that it was going to turn the BPO industry on its head. And that was five years ago. Um, so now I kind of count myself as a veteran of RPA. Um, see how quickly that comes around. <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, but in the meantime, I started to look at artificial intelligence as well. And AI, initially, I looked at it as a technology that complements RPA. So one of the things that robots aren't good at is handling unstructured data. Uh, They have to have structured data as an input. And also they're not very good at making decisions, having opinions, etc. So if your processes have any of these elements, then you're going to have to introduce AI into them. But the more I looked into AI, the more I realized the value of AI was probably orders of magnitude greater than RPA because it can do so much more. And AI as a technology is very diverse, uh, very capable, uh, but poorly understood in the marketplace. So I focus more and more on particularly artificial intelligence in, in the work that I do. And taking that point for a moment, um, perhaps it may be helpful um, to distinguish at least for the purposes of our mm. conversation today, between RPA and automation and AI? Yes, yeah, so with, with robotic process automation, as I said, it mimics what people do on computers. So if a person logs into their CRM system, for example, and enters some data, clicks on OK, and then pastes that into a new system, then that's exactly what the robot does. So, so it's like it, straight through processing effectively. Exactly. And it does it on the user interface, so there's no... Uh, intrusion into those underlying systems, nothing has to change, it just repeats exactly what the, what the person does. Which is great because you get great compliance with that as well. So as well as the robots being cheaper to run and to, to license than, than a human being, the robots will do exactly as, as you tell them to but do. Without sickness breaks, without, payment, without leave, working 24 by 7. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but I always say the robots are dumb because of this, this um, compliance, which is, which is exactly what you want. But as soon as you start to um, have anything that, that requires some intelligence, then obviously you've got to look, look at AI. And this, this, this is where the, the AI technologies start to come in. And AI has self-learning capabilities. So you can train your AI 
uh, on specific data sets and it learns and it creates a model itself out of, out of that data. And, that, and that's the fundamental difference between that and, and, and RPA. And I say the two technologies complement each other very well, but you can also use RPA by itself and particularly with AI and some of the data heavy uh, capabilities, then you can use AI and get some really good results out of just using AI. So with what you're seeing now in the market, Andrew, how is the use of RPA and the various different nascent forms of AI actually transforming the delivery of services and products in practice? I mean, clearly the, the technologies are having a big impact. RPA, as I say, has been around for a number of years now and is relatively mature. So lots of businesses are using this to transform the processes that they're running. So anything that's rules-based and repeatable and scalable within their organizations are candidates for, for RPA. So lots of organizations are looking at that and they're getting good benefits in terms of cost savings and compliance and customer service because the robots can, as you say, work 24 by seven, then you get much better uh, customer service out, out of that. Um, when you look at AI, the technology is less mature if you look at it from a business point of view, but in my mind, the benefits are so much greater as well. So firstly, using AI to complement RPA. Um, if you can use AI to manage unstructured data coming into a process, then you open up so many more processes to, to automation, uh, which is great. Um, but again, AI can be used as a standalone, and if you've got data in your business, then there's going to be value in that data, because AI essentially feeds off data. It's data hungry. The more data you have, probably the more value that's going to be in that. So as well as just delivering um, efficiency benefits, you can start to look at how how AI can help you make better decisions, more informed decisions out of the data that you have. And I think that's, that's a lot of value in that. It almost seems as if, having talked about the value of big data and the, the promise that it holds for so long, that it's taken the advent of these early AI technologies to really unlock that value. Yeah, ab absolutely. And let me, let me give you some examples of, of how um, AI is being used in business. Um, that idea of unstructured data, so unstructured data could be many things. It could be invoices or um, remittance advices or contracts or emails, customer emails coming in. So Virgin Trains use AI to read all their inbound emails. And the AI is able to understand what the email is saying, what it's about, whether it's a complaint or a query or a question, and then route that, that query to the right person within the organization. And of course, that right person could be the right robot within the organization as well. So they've managed to get some very um, big savings. They've reduced their inbound team by 85% by using AI in this, in this case. Another form of unstructured data is speech recognition. So being able to understand the words that somebody is saying. So Deutsche Bank have used speech recognition to listen to all of the calls that their dealers make when they're dealing with clients, when they're making deals. And of course, there's a risk for the bank that some of these uh, deals will be non-compliant or there may even be fraud in that. And previously, they'd have to have people listening to a sample of the calls. Of course, you can't listen to everyone, but with AI, AI listens to all the calls. It, it understands what's being said and then looks for the patterns that might suggest non-compliance or fraud. And those are the ones that are then sent to people to, to review. So they've got massive uh, efficiency savings there, but also because they're listening to all the calls, then they've got you know, even greater benefits in reducing risk. Yeah. Again, the computers never sleep. The computers never sleep, absolutely.
in that Deutsche Bank example, they use natural language processing to understand the intent or what's being said. Uh, another use of natural language processing is in chatbots, and chatbots are very popular at the moment. And some people, as we know, do chatbots very well, and some people do chatbots very badly. And you know, my, my view is you either do it well or you don't do it at all. You, there's, a, there's a big reputational risk of chatbots. It's a bit like voice-based um, services in the outsourcing industry, isn't it? That the, if you did it badly, you actually turn the customers off rather than just delivering a cheaper back-office service. Exactly. And with technology, everything happens at scale and at speed. So whatever happened in outsourcing happens much, much quicker as you start to use AI. But there's examples of uh, banks like SEB using chatbots initially internally on their IT help desk and now externally with customers as well. So they're taking this one step at a time and, and, and gradually in introducing that in, into their services. If you look at data particularly, uh, which is where AI really comes into its own, um, you can use it to predict what's going to happen. So companies like PayPal use it to identify fraudulent transactions that their customers are making. Now, this has been happening a lot previously. You know, pe people's credit card transactions, you get the call saying, did you make that transaction in Bulgaria last week? That happens already. But recently, the... The um, storage has got cheaper, the processes have got faster, everything's more connected, the algorithms have got better. So what this means is the technology has become much, much better at doing it. So PayPal are able to identify fraudulent transactions almost as, as they are happening. And if you look at the rate that they can identify fraud, the industry standard is around about 1.32% fraudulent transactions. PayPal's is 0.32%. They've made a significant impact on identifying those fraudulent transactions and stopping them before they happen. And when you think of the value of those percentage points, that's a very Absolutely. large amount of money. Absolutely. One final example as well you, that, that, that um, companies are using to, to uh, solve problems with, with AI is Google. Now, Google owned DeepMind, one of the foremost um, AI companies in, in, in the world. Um, they got DeepMind to look at their data centers and try and predict the cooling requirements of their data centers. As we know, data centers require massive amounts of cooling. A large part of the cost of a data center is in, is in cooling. So they, they modeled the patterns of, their, of, of the temperature rises and falls, et cetera, and they were able to reduce the cooling bill within their data centers by 40% just by introducing an AI model, and that's a massive cost saving for Google. And when you think about the cost of cooling of not just their data centers, but all the other data centers around the world. Which Absolutely. I think, I think I saw a study which suggested they now equated to 2% of global power usage, yes. which is only obviously going to go up as more and more data centers are built to, um, to pick up our requirements for all this data. So there's, there's quite a few coal-burning power stations we'll be able to uh, do away with just through the use of some clever AI. Absolutely. Sandra, obviously you work very closely with the C-level execs of both buy side and sell side. Mm. Um, when you're talking to them about um, RPA and artificial intelligence, what are the key risks or challenges that you're talking about? Well, obviously we've seen RPA and AI having an impact already on, on these businesses, but there are risks, as you say. I think the biggest risk for me is um, having overinflated expectations in terms of what the technologies can do. They can clearly do a lot and there's lots of value to be had there. But if, if your expectations are too high or, or wrong, then you're only going to be disappointed. 
So being able to understand the capabilities of what these technologies can do and equally importantly what they can't do, I think is a first step in getting the best out of the, best of the technologies. Um, one of the things that, that companies need to do is think about their automation strategy. So companies at the moment would look at a sourcing strategy. They would understand um, should they outsource? If they outsource, what are they going to outsource and how are they going to outsource it? Equally, they need to look at that for automation. Should they automate? What should they automate and how should they automate it? And that's just starting to be part of the, the questions that people are asking. So doing it in a more structured way rather than ad hoc? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think over time, the automation strategy will come to dominate that question as well. So people are going to start to think of it as an automate first strategy, outsource second. And it becomes interesting when you can automate a significant proportion of, uh, of a service uh, because then the classic model of, of economies of scale, which is what outsourcing is based on, starts to be eroded. So if you've got 100 people that you want to uh, potentially outsource, but you can automate 60, 70, 80% of that, then you lose the economies of scale from what can be outsourced le that's left. Yeah. Well, clearly there's a challenge for, for those in the service market who traditionally have relied upon labour arbitrage as one mm -hmm. of their key selling propositions to now almost re-pivot themselves away from being a services company and being a solution company, which is underpinned by... RPA and AI-driven technologies. Exactly. I think this is the real challenge for, out, for incumbent outsourcing providers right now is to be able to pivot. I mean, as I say, I've been talking to providers over the last five years and they've been very, very slow to pivot. Some still have yet to do that. Uh, and, you know, part of that is, is the risk of cannibalising their own revenue. It's yes, the Kodak moment, if you like, the, uh, their reluctance to move away from their margin on, on normal film, even though they invented digital cameras. <laughs> it, 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 exactly. And the danger, of course, is that new providers will come um, that will be created with an automate-first automate mindset. And they're going to be the ones that come in and say, yes, we can take those 100 people, we can automate a load of a, a big proportion of that, and we're still going to get the benefits. And you, you might be left with some people doing some stuff, but that's the high-value stuff, and we can focus on, on you know, customer service or other, other elements with the people that are left. So if those outsourcing providers don't change, then they're going to get challenged very, very quickly by new providers coming into the marketplace. So a classic example of disruption for a, a well-established market, but happening far, far faster than they might like. Yes, ex exactly. It seems that a lot of the players that we come across in the deals that we look at at DLA Piper involve quite a few, lot of smaller companies, smaller providers, perhaps people who aren't um, household names. Um, how is that playing out in terms of the, the, the wider technology um, marketplace? Are these all competitors? Are they collaborators? How is it playing out? So you're right, in a, a lot of the technology vendors in the automation space are relatively small. And for any large enterprise, that represents a risk. Are these companies going to be around in a year's time or three years' time when, I, when I'm depending a lot on, on the capabilities they're providing? Um, I think, so collaboration is, is clearly a strong point and, and something that has to happen with it within, these, within these vendors. Um, a lot of the vendors are, are partnering with outsourcing providers as well, which I think is, is a natural approach. I think the outsourcing provider can then take on some of the risk that the client might have had to have done 
in managing those vendors and obviously it can provide some stability, some, some future revenue uh, um, uh, opportunities, some future revenue opportunities for those vendors and give them some stability. And I think that, that's important. So collaboration is, is inherent in the model. Uh, with AI in particular, the, the vendor's capabilities are very narrow. It's the nature of AI. AI models can do one thing very well, uh, and they can't. Do, you know, the, the, this idea of general AI doesn't exist yet. You know, when when we're replicating the human brain, just as well we haven't quite reached the Skynet moment. Absolutely, we're, we're very very far away from that, and arguably, you know, we're, we're never going to reach that. So, when you're looking at something, uh, an AI vendor. It's going to be able to do one thing very well, whether that's that speech recognition I talked about earlier, or uh, looking through documents to identify uh, fraud, etc. That's that's all it will do. So when you're creating a solution, an end-to-end -end solution, then you need to be able to put together these different capabilities. So you need to understand the individual capabilities, and you need to understand how they all fit together, and then to be able to wrap that around into something that that means something to the client as well. So. A service provider is ideally suited to do that. It's going to be interesting from a, delving into the legal side of that for a moment, that whether contractually you will, in the longer term, provide the kind of prime contractors who are willing to truly be liable on an end-to-end -end basis and those who will run the argument that, well, my wall is only as good as the individual bricks within it, yes. which I know in times past when we've looked at kind of systems integration type deals, uh, has been one of the challenges we've faced. I and mean, at the moment, I think you, certainly our experience, I think, mirrors what you've just explained, Andrew, that uh, it, it's just been one component of a wider solution which they're providing and they're still taking on the, the what I'll call the, the normal level of liability vis-a-vis -vis the customer. But I have seen some savvier suppliers begin to say, well, actually, you know what, yeah, for this particular part of the solution, it is all based upon this RPA product or this uh, AI provider and mm. actually either I'm only going to accept the liability I've got with them in my contract or maybe you, Mr. Customer, should contract with them directly and I'll just integrate it for you. Absolutely. And it's interesting with AI in particular, a lot of the risks uh, around using AI around the, the, the lack of transparency in the models, the, uh, the bias that may creep into the models, these are things that the service provider may or may not understand. If they don't understand them, then, then obviously that, that, that's a clear danger. So the client needs to understand where that risk lies and what those risks are. So more than ever, this idea of an informed client, I think, is really, really important. And I think this, this particular issue, I think, again, from a, a legal perspective, is very much alive at the moment. I mean, you mentioned um, the, the unknowing approach of AI. And if we think of some of the examples that have hit the press where AI has reached data-driven conclusions, which in the cold light of day are a bit problematic in the mm -hmm. sense of being discriminatory in terms of parts of the population that they're picking up or obviously there's the very well publicized twitter bot example from yes. our friends at microsoft uh, where yeah, their twitter bot ended up saying things which weren't just a kind of a, yeah, rather unfortunate shall we say in terms of some of the views that they were expressing but were actually criminal mm. in at least one european jurisdiction so it starts to beg the question Who's liable? Is it the original program of the AI? Is it the company that implemented it? Is it the people who fed data into it? 
And as yet, I don't think we have the, the answers for that. So it's almost as if the legal system has got some catching up to do with the technology. Absolutely. If you look at driverless cars, which is you know, the classic example, it, it, you know, th this is a big question I think people need to, need to address. But you know, for now, understanding what those risks are is, is definitely the first step to take. And there are ways around that. So if you think, you know, if you're a regulated industry, for example, and you want to uh, put in a new system to uh, approve loans, um, one of the challenges is, is the, the opaqueness of the algorithm. But there are ways around that. The different algorithms you can use or there's different, different techniques you can use to essentially make those more transparent. But if you don't know about them, then you're not going to find them. So there, there are ways around this and understanding the bias, for example, is how, how can bias creep into my data sets? Is the bias there? And if there is, then how can I neutralize that? These are all very valid questions for clients to ask. If we turn our minds then to the next two to three years, so the, most, the next kind of imminent wave of RPA and AI, if you like, uh, where do you think there is the greatest potential for the delivery of value through the implementation of the automation strategy that you referred to earlier on? I think people will very quickly move away from looking at purely cost savings, which is, you know, it's the same story as outsourcing. We started looking at cost savings and we looked at the other benefits that are available. The same is happening with RPA. Because we've got AI in the mix, the benefits are potentially, as I said earlier, orders of magnitude greater than, than just efficiency savings. Once you start to look at these technologies from a strategic point of view, then you can say, more than just how can I improve some processes, improve the efficiencies and processes. How can I transform this function? How can I transform my business? Even how can I create new businesses based on these technologies that will really move me far ahead of my competitors? If people have that mindset and understand the technology and the capability of technology, then I think that's, that's the really interesting thing that, that we'll see over the next few years. I guess it's coming back to that, uh, that idea of AI being you know, the key that unlocks the real value of data that so many organizations, I mean, DLA you know, being one of them, um, we have so much value in our data, but we just don't have the means to analyze it. And I guess in our case, there, there was one very good example where we used um, a software-driven approach to analyze statistics regarding our client relationships, mm -hmm. uh, in particularly looking at different parameters which identified growing client accounts or accounts which were uh, perceived to be successful and came up with data-driven, albeit software-enabled, conclusions as to the ideal model in terms of how many different partner touch points there should be in what different geographies. Uh, and that then actually led to a change in approach in terms of how we engage with clients. But the, yeah, we had all of that data in our possession, but it took some clever software mm. to actually analyze it in a realistic way. Exactly, and the technology is getting better and better every day, so the, the capabilities and what we can do with that technology is, is constantly changing, so people need to be aware of what's available. And in, in a lot of cases, people don't know what they don't know. So they, they may have the data, but they don't understand the value of that data. I think that, that that's a risk that people you know, need to come to terms with very, very quickly. If I give you an example of, of where I think um, AI adds more value than just pure cost savings. If you think about um, an insurance broker, so they, they look at um, new policies coming in, and AI, one of the capabilities of AI, is extracting the metadata from those policies. So they can say, yeah, this 
here's the parties, here's the value of that policy, here's the termination date, et cetera. And, then, and they can extract the data from, from, the, from the policy automatically. Previously, they might have had a team doing that or they might have outsourced it to uh, an offshore location, which they can then say, right, we don't need that anymore. We, we, we've immediately saved some money, which, which is great. But you think, here's AI extracting all of that data from these policies. If you did that for your legacy documents, so everything that you've done in the past, you're going to start to generate insights into, oh, this was a good policy, that was a bad policy, this one paid out, that one didn't pay out. You start to generate real value out of that. And then you can start to say, well, I can write better business in the future. And even if you change that a tiny percentage and you can get do better business, that's going to be far more valuable than just saving the cost of a, 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 a outsourcing provider in Chennai, for example. I think that's, that's the way people need to think about these technologies. When I've read about um, AI more generally, it does seem that there is a bit of a split between those who have perhaps the glass half full, optimistic view of AI being an enabler for some utopian view of the future, and the glass half empty, oh my God, where are we going, dystopian view where it's going to result in a whole underclass of people who haven't got jobs anymore because it's all been done by the robots instead and therefore will have a lack of social cohesion and so on. Um, now, accepting that there's probably some grains of truth in both views, mm. what do you think? Do you think there's going to be a backlash against the use of AI or, or have we opened Pandora's box? I mean, I think that there's clearly huge opportunities from, the, from these technologies, but there are, as you say, risks from that. And I think to avoid those risks, people need to be informed of exactly what the capabilities of technology are, what the risks are. I think once they understand that, then they're going to be in a much better position to avoid those, that dystopian future, as you say. People need to understand that there's benefits just beyond the cost savings. So as I said, AI can deliver greater insights into the data that you have. Uh, you can put RPA, RPA in, not just to uh, make processes more efficient, but you can enable pay-as-you-go services. You know, RPA is a very predictable service, so you can start to then chunk it up. You know what the costs of each bit of that process are you can start to offer your services as pay-as-you-go services. So enabling very different uh, business models than, than it did before. So people understand that and understand the risks that may be associated with those, then I think um, you know, that's the way forward and that's the way to get the best value out of these, out of these technologies. Yeah. It seems to me that we, you can't be too King Canute-like with this, with, yeah. with the technologies capabilities being out there it's going to happen. If it's not happening in this country, it'll be happening in, a, in another country, and the progression will happen. Yes. Um, I guess that, again, looking at it from a, perhaps a, a legal perspective, I do see the potential that in some sectors, be it medical or pharmaceutical or financial services, the regulators could end up, for good or for ill, acting as a partial break on how fast it will take on. Mm. But it seems to me we are on a path that it's, it's going to happen sooner or later. It's just a question of, as you say, how well educated we are in embracing the upside and managing the downside. Absolutely. I think the challenge now is the technology is moving faster than regulators and the regulators are, ne are needing to catch up on this. And that's, you know, there's a danger there. And it, there's some people looking at this and talking about it. And I think the more we talk about it, the better. We need to put these risks out in the open and talk about them, I think that's the only way to really start to address them, whilst the regulators start to try and catch up with the, with the technologists. Yeah, well, I think the, the, the advance of technologies uh, is 
an interesting day-to-day -day challenge. I mean, obviously, we're talking here about AI and automation, but you think about blockchain as, again, mm. being one of the, the big you know, change factors out there. And uh, we were looking at a project at the moment where blockchain on it, in and of itself, had potential and could disrupt this particular industry. This, this happens to be financial services-led, but it was only when you could overlay an AI component on the top mm. to manage issues of deadlock and gridlock within this particular blockchain system that it actually worked. Yeah. So having gone through the use cases, it needed the combination of two very different types of disruptive technology to work. Yeah. But the moment you did, then well, the potential for change is huge. Exactly. And what you, what you need are people that understand those different technologies. I mean, these, these are complicated technologies. They're not simple at all. And having people that understand blockchain and AI in the same room is, is a difficult enough challenge for, for anybody at the moment. So it, none, none of this is easy, but um, the benefits, I say, the opportunities are, are absolutely massive. We've talked a lot about the need for uh, people to educate themselves about the both the upside and also the potential limitations in relation to the use of, uh, of RPA and, and AI. I know you've just written a book in relation to the, these topics. What was it that led you to, to do that and what do you think um, the conclusions you're drawing are? It was exactly that, that point that the, there's nothing that's... That, um, sorry, let's start again. Um, it's exactly that point that people need to be educated about what these technologies can do. They don't need to understand how the technology works. They need to understand the capabilities of the technology. Just like when you drive a car, you need to understand what it can do, not how the engine works. And when I looked at the market, I said, well, there's lots of books around how to code AI, how to write it, you know, how to write Python and all those things, which, are, which you know, are written for certain people. And there's lots of books about the robots are going to take over the world, this dystopian future, etc., yeah. which is all very interesting, but... Not practical. Not practical. I'm a CEO, a CIO, a CFO, whatever. Today, how am I going to start my AI journey? And there was nothing that really told them how to do that. So what I've tried to do in the book is explain the capabilities of AI in as simple a language as possible so business people can understand it and then how they can exploit those technologies in their business. What are the steps they need to go through from day one to bring those, te those technologies into their business and use them effectively? So again, it's back to the idea of having a strategy for the use of automation and AI rather than just falling into it. Absolutely, yes. The, a lot of the book focuses on building that automation strategy and understanding where you're going to end up with this, what are your ambitions with automation before you actually start doing anything. So thanks to Andrew Burgess, Strategic Advisor on AI and RPA, for sharing his insights on the disruptive impact of AI and automation, particularly in the world of outsourcing. Do look out for further podcasts from DLA Piper as we explore the influence of emerging technologies in business and wider society. The first six podcasts, focusing on the future of fintech, plus others exploring blockchain, AI, cybersecurity and crowdfunding, are already available for you to listen to on our website, or maybe accessed via the Apple Podcast app on iOS or SoundCloud, as well as other apps and services for Android or other phones. Finally, thank you from me, Kit Burden, partner at DLA Piper and global co-chair of our technology sector. I look forward to speaking to you again soon.